Radio. It's Friday, September 4th, 2020. This is episode 633 of the podcast, Film Wax Radio. We have a docutastic episode for you today. We have, uh, in the first segment, returning to the podcast, a filmmaker of very great note, award-winning documentary filmmaker, Liz Garbus. Liz was last on the podcast in March of 2014. So quite a number of years ago, six years, and that was episode 204, if you're looking for it. She's in a very prolific jag at the moment and uh, just completed a film with her co-director and first time on the podcast, my friend Lisa Cortez. I've known Lisa for years. She's produced many great films and is finally at the directorial helm, uh, or sharing the directorial helm, I should say, with Liz Garbus for a new documentary called All In the Fight for Democracy which is being produced by Amazon Prime, but it will be in select theaters nationwide on September 9th, and then worldwide on the Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video on September the 18th. A little bit about the film, All in the Fight for Democracy is a, uh, All in the Fight for Democracy is a riveting examination of voter suppression in the United States. The film weaves rich archival storytelling with the personal experiences of experts, activists, and would-be voters deprived of their rights. This is something we can all relate to right now. It, it is the most vital topic I can think of. Current activism, as well as historical insight, expose what corrupted our democracy from the moment it was founded. Every time we, uh, the people, take a step toward a more just and equal nation, granting rights to the disenfranchised, from women's suffrage to desegregation, new forces and obstacles emerge that require us to fight for the right to vote. Once again, Stacey Abrams, the former majority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives and the first female African-American major party gubernatorial nominee, offers an insider's look at the patchwork of laws and barriers designed to hinder voting. Many U.S. citizens remain unaware of this dangerous threat to their basic right to wield their power and raise their voices at the polls. Uh, so we are going to now talk to, in the first segment, Liz Garbus and Lisa Cortez about their important and extraordinarily relevant film, All in the Fight for Democracy. Then we're going to kind of flip it a little bit, and we're going to bring on a friend of mine, filmmaker named Tyler Meesom, first time on the show. We recorded this a while ago. We thought this documentary might be up a little sooner, but of course, as has happened to so many different uh, films, things got a little delayed. But better late than ever. This is so much fun. It's called I Want My MTV. Uh, I Want My MTV will ha- enjoy its special premiere on Biography, part of the A&E Network, on Tuesday, September 8th at 9 o'clock. I recommend it. It's it's a ton of fun. If you came up in the 80s, you are going to love this film. Because if you were brought up in the 80s and you're hip, um, and of course anybody refers to themselves as hip is most certainly not hip, but aside from that, 
you you grew up on MTV when they actually showed music videos, no less. But uh, if you're a fan of MTV uh, or just grew up in that time period, you're going to have a lot of fun watching this documentary. We're going to have the filmmaker, the documentary, the director of the of documentary, Tyler Misamon, in the second segment. But first, again, all in the fight for democracy about the history of voter suppression and what we're up against this coming uh, fall in only a matter of about 60 days or so. So here it is, my conversation with uh, filmmakers Lisa Cortez and Liz Garbus here on FilmWax Radio. If the power of the right to vote was truly made available to everyone in America, it would change the future of this nation. Ladies and gentlemen, Stacey Abrams! When I started running for governor, we anticipated that voter suppression was going to be instrumental in Ryan Kemp's campaign, and we were right. We've been in line for five hours. They said, you've already voted. Looks like several days ago. No, I would have remembered that. Thousands of people were told no and didn't have the authority to demand better. These lines are insane. We had precinct consolidation, non-training of local election officials. I knew something had gone horribly wrong. The system that is supposed to protect our democracy didn't work the way it was supposed to. How you been, Lisa? How are you holding up? I am, um, I'm good, Adam. I'm just back from a little holiday, so. Um, where, where you, can, you, can you indict both? Where you went for that? Were you? Seems like everybody went to Cape Cod. I don't know where were you. I, the- that's where I, I was. I was in Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> oh, Martha's Vineyard, even better. Yeah. I did. Did you run into Dawn Porter out there, by the way? I literally ran into Dawn and Laura Mitchelchison uh, one night while out shopping for seafood. Oh, that's funny. You either meet people like you know at the seafood store or the ice cream store. <laughs> yes. It's funny, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I can't eat ice cream too much, but so I probably would run into them in the seafood place, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really <laughs> fresh. It's like I've never been so excited about seafood. Yeah, I have to go, I have to go. Look at all these wonderful people that are populating Martha Vineyard. Maybe Jake and I will take a trip out there. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Will, oh, there's uh, there's purpose. Hi, how are you? Let me turn on my... Hello, hi. Hi. Hey, Adam. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. How are you? Thank you. Good, hi. Hi, Jake. Nice to see your face. <laughs> All righty. Well, hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, Adam. Wow, it's been a long time, Liz. How have you been? Uh, I have been okay, you know, considering. How about you? Yeah, I, I was telling Lisa that I moved out of the city about two months two months ago. You know, it, was, it wasn't even entirely based on the, on the COVID situation, but it was a, definitely a motivating factor, you know, because I just had a number of things going on and it was like I needed, I needed the break. So I hear you. I'm just a little north of the city, about 100 miles away, not north of New York. Ah, got it. What county? Yeah. Well, I am really close to Dutchess, but I'm literally like a block's distance from Columbia County, southern border. So I'm in technically in Columbia County, which is where Hudson is. Yeah, yeah. We used to have a house in Kinderhook. 
um, which is, you know, 15 minutes north of uh, Hudson. Oh, we wow. We no longer have it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it's so beautiful here. Uh, it's really so nourished, nourished the soul. As, uh, Fantastic. You know, uh, thank you both for making such an important, timely, uh, essential uh, documentary, by the way. Thank you. I don't, thank I don't, you. I don't say that just to, you know, ruffle your feather. Uh, no, the opposite. Uh, to <laughs> boost our to, egos. Boost your egos, yeah. <laughs> well, if I did that, you, between the two of you, that would be ridiculous. a long time on this. I use all my time on the podcast. But, um, yeah. And I, I just want to, if I can get anybody to see it, like who might not normally see it, um, then it's great, you know. We hope, we hope that will happen. Thank you. Sure, sure. Um, and I want to get the full correct title in. So I meant to open my it all is. in. Go ahead, Lisa. The Fight for Democracy. The Fight for Democracy. <laughs> in this case... We, we wear our boxing gloves the whole time. What is the, what is the linchpin? Well, first of all, what are you, what are you, what's going on there, Liz? In case anybody's... I mean, I, I, this is audio, but, you know, I'm just curious. Are you under a blanket? Oh wait, but we're not. We're not. No, it's going to be. Right? Yes. No, no. I said it's going to be okay. audio. Audio. Yeah, I don't, yeah. mean, to, I don't yes, mean to. I, I don't, immediately I, she starts reaching for the <laughs> her wardrobe and doing. No, no, no. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm somehow cold right now. Okay. No problem. The air conditioning. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What is the what? Let me play the devil's advocate here for a second. What is the linchpin, the very backbone of democracy? Uh, what is the backbone of democracy? What, what um, is well, what is it, the very girder thing that girders democracy? Would you say? I'm leading you into the conversation about that. Yes, I, I hear you. Well, it's, I feel a little bit like I'm back in history class, but I think that it is democracy means that the people who are governed are um, in, are, uh, well, no, that's representative government. Democracy is about embracing or including the voices of the citizens in a country in decision-making. We live in a representative democracy, which means we elect our representatives, hopefully those who uh, represent our values and our community's needs to you know, come together and advocate for the, our communities. That is the way the representative democracy should work. And as the constitution states, it is supposed to be we the people. But unfortunately, our history shows that the Constitution did not automatically give everyone the right to vote. And it's been a long, steady process for the enfranchisement to be extended to all the citizens of the U.S. And we still have an issue with access to the polls for everyone. Also, there is an issue of... Uh, determination, determination of those who still in this day and age would love every opportunity to sabotage what you're just talking about. And and so if the motivation is strong enough, no matter how you continue to evolve the, the rights, the voting rights, there will be those who will try to undermine that and do so through, you know, technicalities or of, of just, you know, uh, any series of, of, reason, of ways. Uh, which your film depicts, you know. Yeah, I mean, Adam, I think what, you know, the argument like you, of, of the film is that, um, you know, over the course of our history, as Lisa mentioned, the franchise was only extended to a select few. Say, you know, we the figure that we've come 
closest to expressing it is a 6% of the American population was able to participate and vote in the election of, of George Washington. So we had a lot of work to do. Um, we had a lot of language about democracy and you know, overturning monarchs, et cetera, et cetera, but there was still a tremendous amount of work to do. What you see over time after reconstruction um, are even after the 15th Amendment, when the freed slaves are given the right to vote and citizenship, um, are is you know white terror and violence um, to keep Black Americans from participating. Um, so during Reconstruction, you had voter participation, you had Black Americans being elected to Congress and to the governor's house, and then by the time you know sort of eight years fast forward, ten years on. Um, due to Klan violence, Jim, you know, the beginning of Jim Crow, black codes, voter suppression tactics, that participation begins to be um, chipped away at until by the time uh, we're in the uh, fighting the, the World War II, it's about, I think the number is what, 3% of black participation. Um, so it's, it's an extraordinarily successful uh, uh, campaign to eliminate those who had gained the franchise uh, during Reconstruction. Um, and when you say now, technicalities, yes, now it is not so much um, people being lynched after showing up to vote, although, of course, we, we do see lynchings by, you know, modern day lynchings, of course, occurring um, in our culture. But um, it is things like voter ID, which seem neutral or bureaucratic. Oh, you, 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 you need an ID to vote. Okay. But what kind of IDs do you accept and what kinds do you reject? Right. What and you kind have of, a, right. And you have what, a septic what kind of, Yes. And what, what kind of paperwork is necessary to be able to apply for those IDs? And do all Americans have that paperwork? If you were born in the Jim Crow South, you might not have the birth certificate that's required. If you live on a reservation, you don't have a street address. So all of these things, which may seem like bureaucratic or technicalities, are actually quite uh, quite a focused and targeted attempt at reducing the uh, the voice of black, brown, young, poor Americans. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So I'm saying, you know, well, that was one example of technicalities. There's also, uh, as the, my bring up motivation suggests, that uh, that if the motivation is strong enough. You can re you can put uh, fix one problem and the leak will just move over to another area, you know. And so there there you'll have yeah, the people then doing exactly what you said, which is creating new rules and you know et cetera, new regulations in order to uh, sabotage those who have the right to vote. I mean, Adam, I think it's we've always likened this what's happened to a a monster movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the Hydra. <laughs> you cut off the Hydra's head and two more heads appear. Right. Yeah. It's a monster. It is a monster, right? And and uh, what and it continues to the day. Obviously, where this is what we're looking at right now: the just uh, the try the attempt to dismantle and sabotage the post office. That continues um, in no short order. It's pretty... absolutely and 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 I think the current. Um... You know, we I, I, we mentioned the black codes and Mississippi plan in the film. I think you know the current language is this language around voter fraud, mm -hmm. um, and that is the rationale right. that is used by those in power to limit the electorate. Um, and the truth is, is it's just a straw man because even the president of the United States, Donald Trump, when he Oats. assembled his blue ribbon 
panel to investigate voter fraud couldn't find more than 1,300 cases. Statistically irrelevant. So it is a red herring and it, it needs to be debunked at every turn. Yeah, it's a, I thought you were gonna say even Donald Trump voted by mail, which he did, so. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I'm and talking okay. about the language of voter fraud, right. which has been yes. used for years. Now it's the, because right. of the pandemic, it's an attack on people trying to safely cash a socially distant ballot. Mm -hmm. Lisa, sorry. Oh, no, I was just saying, in addition to Donald Trump voting by mail, members of his family have also. So it, yeah. it's... Uh, how do you, uh, oh, but uh, even if we, I guess the question is, is how do we get to the next phase where, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you see, it's a, I, this is a, an ad, I'm the devil's advocate, but you, Liz, you just said we have to confront it with truth at every turn. And it's 24-7 job to do that because of the 24-7 uh, misinformation cycle or disinformation, however. Uh, yes. So, so I guess, it's, isn't it ultimately going to be changing of minds? Because it's always been who goes, do you put the horse before the cart? Or, I mean, if you uh, create laws that say this uh, should be the way it is, within a generation, you'll say, oh, this isn't bad. Things are going pretty well. Uh, it's not so scary. It's not so horrible. It's actually working pretty well. I, I, there's a much more goodwill, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, or, you know, do you wait for people to get it? I, well, I think there are two answers. Um, Thank you. you know, one is what do you do right now when we're not going to pass any new laws between now and the November election, right? So right now, what do you do is you check to make sure that you're registered. You check to, even if you, even if you know you've registered, you could have been purged, right? Yeah. Um, you uh, find, figure out, make a voting plan, right? Like, are you voting mail-in? Where are you gonna put it? Do you know where a ballot drop box is? You know, if you wanna go further than just protecting your own right, you can become a vote, you know, we have a website, allinforvoting.com. And you can go on there, you can learn how to volunteer to be a poll worker. You can learn how to phone bank and give people information in an election where so many people are voting in a different way than they've ever voted before. Information, good information is so crucial right now. So there's a lot that can be done. And then in terms of your larger question, yes, what happened with Obama was the right was able to say, oh, look, it's not a racist country anymore because we have a black president. Um, so they went to pass, you know, the Supreme Court then took Shelby versus Holder. Well, there's a new Voting Rights Act that has been sitting, you know, waiting for Mitch McConnell to bring it to the floor and it hasn't been brought. So. This election matters because if the Senate um, turns into a body that is in favor of all Americans voting, they can revise the Voting Rights Act and honor the legacy of John Lewis and so many others um, before him, you know, um, so many others who fought for it. Lisa, I've been talking, you talk. Liz, I'll edit all of your stuff out, don't worry. Okay, good. Lisa, then you better be good. I just would say the only, I, I always am, and the only addition I would offer is that, um, you, you know, everyone has varying degrees of how they can uh, be involved. And so it can be as simple as hosting a viewing party of our film um, and sharing that with your community. And once again, you can go into our website, allinforvoting.com and there's a ton of tools there um, about how to become engaged and to use this film as one of those tools to exp 
expand this knowledge, expand this sense of uh, righteous indignation, um, and hopefully that lights a fire uh, with uh, people in your community. Um, again, the name of the film is called All in the Fight for Democracy. It's in theaters September 9th, whatever that looks like, and on Amazon Prime on the 18th of September. Uh, again, all, uh, the, the website we keep referring to is allinforvoting.com. Uh, the back, I sort of, the un undergirding the film is this, this story of uh, Stacey Abrams' recent run for governor, a battle which she lost, uh, which kind of puts a personal story on the theme of the, the film, right? How did that all work out? How did uh, Stacey come into the project? And also, why did you guys end up co-directing? How did that work out? Two questions. Uh, okay, um, so Stacy, um, it started with Stacy. The project started with Stacy. Stacy came to New York and met with some, or maybe she was in other places too. Met with uh, some documentary filmmakers, and we um, connected. I had actually thought about after 2016 making a film about the franchise and voter suppression and the history. I thought the history was so important, um, but couldn't figure out the hook. And of course the hook walked into my Dumbo office that day. Um, and it was very clear that this individual discrete story opened up the door to the big larger story, that it was the playbook that was happening in Georgia. Um, so that is how Stacy's, you know, it, it came it came from her. Um, Lisa, do you wanna? Um, I had worked with um, Liz's uh, business and life partner, Dan Kogan, on the Apollo Theater documentary. Mm -hmm. And um, he introduced me, uh, that, that's how I got to know Liz and Dan and uh, get involved with this um, project. You know, Stacy from the beginning was incredibly resistant for us to center the story um, or to include her. Her. Uh, she has always said this is bigger than, you know, 2018. This is an issue that has affected Americans for centuries. Um, but for us as filmmakers, you know, it was important to have that as a part of our spine for the narrative, um, her story, because it's so fresh and current. And I mean, it, you can't but help be moved by what I call this, you know, this great American tragedy where, you know, her uh, opponent that she's running against is also the Secretary of State, which allowed him to do things that in any other election would not be allowed. And it's in a, an environment that where that is, it's, it's everywhere now. I mean, uh, just looking at the RNC and what they're doing there just, no, no respect for tradition or law or law, <laughs> you know. Um, so it, it's 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 uh, everywhere. But that is an incredible story. And she, but what, what did she make of the film? Well, you know, as Lisa said, she was always like, "Liz, yeah. Lisa, it's not about me." Remember, this is larger than any one candidate. As soon as you reduce it to that person's story, people will feel find all kinds of one person's story. People find all kinds of reasons to write it off. So it was very important to set that story in its larger historical context. Um, but when we sent it to her, <laughs> when we sent her the rough cut of the film, both Lisa and I were a little nervous because, you know, it does take up some, some minutes in the movie. Um, but she, she, she got back right back to us and she said, I get it. I know why you did it. I see why it's working. I see, you know, and so she just, you know, supported our vision. And it was, and it was great. 
I think there was one thing she asked us to change, which was the picture of her grandmother. Uh, and we were like, okay, now we can sleep. Now we can breathe out. Uh, you know, we've, we've uh, kind of nailed it. And just from a filmmaking point of view, one thing was that that was incredibly helpful for, for Lisa and me and our editor um, was that, that, that uh, Stacy was writing a, a memoir and she shared those pages with us of some of her, you know, of her own growing up and um, personal experiences. So we were able to sort of look at those and be able to say, okay, we're going to ask you about these three stories. You know, we didn't need to do 10 hours from birth to, you know, the moment. We were able to read and hear her stories and really target the ones that um, we thought were important for the film. So that was really helpful. And also, as a as a producer on the project, Stacy definitely directed us to and extended her relationships to many of the people that we interviewed. Um, in Andrew that, Young, Andrew Young, Lucy Bates wow. Johnson, Eric right. Holder, Eric Carol Anderson, Ari Berman. The list goes on. And um, these are people who have worked with Stacy, and you know, I think she was quite generous in um, helping to assist us being able to connect with them. You know, this film was done in very quickly in less than a year, um, but it had to be done quickly right. in order to uh, be in conversation um, upon its release. I know what you mean. Again, it's, and the release is in early September or mid-September anyway. It'll be, again, in theaters on September 9th. And, and that'll be drive-ins also, drive-in theaters. Yes, yeah, so you can see this movie safely and bring your- Yes, and drive-ins across the, across the country. We're so thrilled that the drive-in is making a comeback and that they're programming this film. The message uh, is, uh, again, is to make sure you are registered. Confirm, double confirm. And if you're mailing, doing your mail and do it, mailing in your, your vote, do it as quickly as possible. But any other takeaways that you guys want to? And after you make a plan, make certain that the people in your community, mm -hmm. you know, your aunties, uncles, cousins, et cetera, that they have uh, made a plan, that you stay informed about what is the truth um, in terms of the access to the vote and what you can do to be socially, uh, safely socially distanced in your voting. Okay, we only have like another minute, but can you also just mention the organizations or, or uh, that, that were involved in this film? Because you guys really, uh, this was a, 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 a big effort from many different people and organizations, right? To make this film work in such a quick order. Well, wait. Yeah, well, we made the film, I mean, our set with Amazon, but there's a there's an incredible outreach campaign with incredible partners. Lisa, do you want to talk about? And then we'll see partners. Uh, yes, I will talk Fair fight, about fair fight. Fair fight, of course. Higher Heights, the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, Voto Latino. What? Sorry? When we all vote. Okay, go, go. That's okay. Uh, the Advancement Project, Community Change, uh, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, the Alliance for Youth Action, Indivisible, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, <laughs> the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, uh, Rock the Vote, uh, All in uh, wait a Democracy, Demos, Headcount, Black Voters Matter, Camper 
Campus Vote Project, the Movement Voter Project, People for the American Way, Jewish Women International, and Vote from Abroad. I think it would have been faster if I asked you what organizations weren't involved in the film, but it would have been a shorter list. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I can't say enough. Uh, uh, Liz, thank you for coming back onto the podcast. I feel this is a little short, but it's important to get the, the message out, and you guys did a good job about that. Um, for uh, and, and Lisa, it's been a, an ongoing desire to bring you on, finally. I feel thank like you so across much. that cross that off but you're i want to bring you back on for a longer conversation one of these days if you wouldn't mind absolutely all right enjoy the rest of your your vacation and uh thank you it was really nice seeing you both okay all in is the name of the film you're welcome anytime all in all in for voting all in for voting.com bye-bye States implement voter suppression laws all across the country. Things like new voter ID laws purging. You're knocked off the roll. Gerrymandering. Changing the voting boundaries. Ohio is a use it or lose it state. In the United States, the right to vote is the only right you can lose simply for not using it. Jim Crow 2.0, that's what we're saying. We've got a lot of work to do. When we started as a country, 6% of people were eligible to vote. There are still forces that are determined to keep citizens from voting. Unless we fight for the right to vote, our democracy is put at risk. The fight over voting rights is ultimately about power. The states have figured out how to stop. African Americans, Hispanics, Asian Americans, the young and the poor from voting. History is never a straight line. It's always a fight. I will not concede because the erosion of our democracy is not right. I'm trying to make history. All right. Uh, some time ago, I um, did a screening as part of the Filmwax film series, something that is no longer uh, a thing. But I had on Tyler Meeson with an earlier documentary that he made called Sons of Perdition, which, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to really encourage you to see Sons of Perdition. I know we're talking about I Want My MTV, but Sons of Perdition is a inside look at of uh, former FLDS teens, or Mormons, you, I think they used to be called, who have become religious refugees in mainstream America. So he co- Tyler co-directed that back in, I think it was 2010, with Jenny Lynn uh, Merton, and um, uh, I that put him on the map. I saw that documentary, and I said, oh, I want to show this, and, and I think it's spectacular, and then bring Tyler. Jenny Lynn ended up doing the, uh, the Q&A with me, but uh, I've stayed in, in and out of touch with Tyler over the years. And more recently, Tyler co-directed a documentary called The Honest Liar about the life and career a uh, renowned stage magician turned scientific skeptic of the paranormal, James Randi. Uh, and and it's, I, again, you got to see it. It's a fantastic documentary. So what a great track record Tyler has. And the I Want My MTV continues that track record. I Want My MTV charts the rise of a cultural phenomenon that came to define a generation. MTV. 
What started during the nascent days of cable television as a scrappy, playful music video lineup rapidly evolved into a reflection of American youth culture. As MTV came of age, the network pushed the boundaries of art, sex, gender, and race while cementing its image to celebrity. And when the information revolution raged, MTV was at the forefront exploring new technologies. Interview subjects include Sting, Pat Benatar, Billy Idol, Annie Lennox, Nancy Wilson, Fab Five, Freddie, Norman Lear, Daryl, DMC, McDaniels, among many others. Again, I want my MTV premieres on biography. It's Tuesday, September 8th at 9 p.m. Here it is, my conversation with the director. Tyler Meesom, only here on Film Wax Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. MTV has been heralded as fresh and innovative and criticized for being shallow. When MTV first hit, this was the biggest talk in the universe. MTV dropped a grenade into our world. Everybody was watching MTV. People had it on like the radio. I want my MTV! Made international stars almost overnight. We had no idea what was going to happen because of MTV. It gave a visual representation to the artist that they did not have before. But you never looked at music the same way again. Tyler Meesom on Film Wax Radio, finally, after all these years. <laughs> yes, Adam, it has taken a while. I'm uh, happy to be on your show as yeah. a listener, of course. Oh, well. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You and I met. I get. When did Sons of Perdition come out? Because it was at. I saw. I guess I saw it in New York. I mean, it did, was it at Tribeca Film Festival that year? It was. It premiered at the world uh, world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival, and that was. God, what was that? It was one hundred twenty years ago. God, I don't know. It was no. It's two thousand. <laughs> twelve. Two thousand twelve. Yes. Wow. Two thousand twelve. Goodness gracious. And you Ten. Did that, that... It was 2010. Forgive me. It was 2010. Are you serious? Yeah, it was 2010. Wow. And you obviously you just co-directed that particular film with Gentleman Merton. And, I did. Yeah. And um, I thought that was one of the best documentaries that year. I guess because um, I remember seeing it and being very impressed. And and then I guess when I was doing a little series, I guess I must have showed it at one point or other. You did. I think it was in Philadelphia. You showed it. No, of course. <laughs> no. What, what do you mean? I don't know. I, Gal, it played all over the world, man. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it, somebody I, showed just... it in Philadelphia outside. <laughs> I, no, no, no. That wasn't fine. you, I'm apparently. Kidding. Philadelphia is not too far, so it's not like... No, I think I showed it in Brooklyn, <laughs> and Jenna Lynn came. I think that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Jenna Lynn was the co-director, and of course, for those who don't know, Sons of Perdition was a documentary about uh, kids who were kicked out of polygamy it follows these exiled polygamist kids who right. were raised in this small town in uh, the Utah Arizona border and they had no knowledge of the outside world or contact with the outside world and then one day at the age of like 15 16 they're just thrown to the curb so we followed three boys for two and a half years and kind of watched them adjust to a world they didn't know anything about mm. Can any it, 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 since we're talking about it, and I know it's already almost ten years old. Shock! Oh, well, it is ten years old. Because it is of course ten years you old. Probably, well, 
you mm-hmm. made it ten years ago. It just didn't get into a festival till nine years ago. Right. But uh, but but um, where can people currently see it? Is it on iTunes or? Yeah, it's on iTunes. It had its run on Netflix, as you know. Of the Oprah yeah, yeah. Oprah Network picked it up after Tribeca, and I yeah, I believe it's now on Amazon, and I think it's on Amazon. Everything's on Amazon, right? Yeah, everything pretty much. And then and then we should also mention since we're kind of waxing film waxing historic and 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 nostalgic that you also were a co-director and producer and cinematographer on An Honest Liar, which was also spectacular. Thanks. And that was also a Tribeca premiere, right. world premiere to Tribeca and I co-directed that with Justin Weinstein. Mhm. Yeah, and that was a uh, that film I'm insanely proud. I'm, I love all my children, but mm-hmm. I'm very proud of An Honest Liar. That but, is, uh, you love them all, but you favor some of them. Of course. Of course. I'm happy Just when like, some of them get into, into good schools, if you will. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, that right. one, I, I, you know, I, I, I really am proud of that film, and we worked insanely hard to make it as good as possible. And we were very lucky that during, and I, I, I hesitate to say lucky because somebody's life was at in jeopardy but uh during the filming of that movie something occurred that threw the whole uh film into something of a of a of a spin a tailspin and a disarray and an uncertainty and it happened to be in line with the themes of the movie itself so we were very lucky except that it did extend the production and post-production a little bit longer than it we hoped it would have why are you so mysterious about it if it's like, you know, already like a three-year-old film or whatever? It was, it was 2000. <laughs> Come on, no, man. Me, I five-year-old. Five-year-old Because what if people haven't seen it? I don't want to spoil it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, it's I, worth you know. it, too, is also, uh, you know, you, you're very good at making these films that are, you know, have a lot of intrigue and, and you know, mystique to them, I, I have to say. Both of the films really have something to them that are make them very, 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 very consumable and 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 entertaining, and, nice. um, and yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. So we'll tell people to again to see to seek out Sons of Perdition and An Honest Liar, and now this is um, a, a very different. Seems like a different direction. Maybe you were hired for this. Can you talk about I Want My MTV? Because it tells this this story, um, but in a much more, I don't know, like personally invested way. The people that are, all the people that were there on the ground floor of MTV, which kind of saved the music industry at, in its day, right? I mean, it, it was one yeah, of the, it did. those waves, yeah. like, the yeah. you know, are there. You got them all involved in the film pretty much, well, most everybody. And yeah. they're really telling the story, and they're so fully uh, invested in telling the story that you get carried away with it. I, I have to, so I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a, a, definitely a departure. Uh, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of my films, and that includes, uh, you know, even my short films I've made, my early films, the films I've produced. In fact, all of them kind of have a uh, a, a belief theme to them, and I think that Jesus is Town, it, right? Yeah, it, it, sure, Jesus Town, and then Take had a lot of, and then I did. Short films about belief, and I did a film called Elder, about a gay Mormon missionary who falls in love with an Italian communist, and you know, so a lot of these have a belief factor in them, and I believe part of that is is uh, I was raised as a Mormon, um, and then at some point I realized that it was not my faith and not what I believed, and then I believed I, I realized that I was being deceived, you know, that I'd spent my existence 
being lied to. And consequently, because I was actually a Mormon missionary, I spent some time uh, deceiving as well. And so I kind of felt bad for that. And I, I think mm. in many ways, a lot of the, the, the films I've done uh, have that uh, belief inherent in them. An Honest Liar very much that way. Sons of Perdition, of course, about kids who leave their uh, uh, very yep. extreme religion. And then right. I made a film about Madonna and Sting and MTV. <laughs> so it was, it was quite a departure, and I was grateful to be able to do it. Uh, I had just come off of Sons of Perdition. It was, or I'm sorry, An Honest Liar. It was on the film festival circuit, and it played all over the place. And man, film festivals are the best. You know that, Adam. Yeah. It's like you, you, you make a movie and then people fly you to great places and they put you up in hotels and you get to hang out with other people who are filmmakers yes. who are of like minds and the right. beer is always free. And it, you know, <laughs> you, it's such a great experience to be able to do that. Um, like, right. And it's, no. it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's the gravy. And I think Stanley Nelson said that on your own podcast. He said, Ooh, it's, you Stanley, know, Nelson. Up, Stanley yeah. Nelson, he said that about the film, the Miles Davis. And he said, it's, you know, I'm sopping up the gravy. And anyways, I, I kind of di diverted a bit. But uh, I had finished An Honest Liar. I was looking for something else to do. And of course, when you make a movie and you make a movie like I do, it's years. You know what I mean? Like I'm fully invested in making these films. And I like to say that I, li I live above the store. I produce, I write, I direct, I shoot, I, you know, I really integrate myself. So when I choose a subject, I want it to be as a, a great one because mm -hmm. at some point I'm going to hate that fucking movie. <laughs> and I have to be able to wake up in the morning and go, okay, at one point you love this movie and you want to keep going. And uh, somebody had come to me, Patrick Waldrop, and he said, I want to make a film about MTV. I'd raised a little bit of money. And I thought about it for a while. And I said, that sounds like fun. And part of the reason is because I was raised without being able to watch MTV because it was evil, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And well, so I, I, I wasn't I wasn't in any way prevented. And I would still say it was evil. <laughs> well, you know, one man's evil is another man's sexy. And so <laughs> I'm kidding. Me, but I, we're going to have to talk a little bit about this period of your life and, and your transitioning to borrow a term. I do want to I do want to talk about that maybe in a little bit, but but, oh, but of continue course. Con no, but no, continue. Yeah. No, yeah, it, I, I I do think it has a lot to do with my my art and what I've done yeah, and, and continue course. to do. And I I think a lot of people need to tap into what they how they were raised. But nonetheless, we in and, and so I did some research and I realized it would be a blast and it would be able to relive the youth that I never had sitting in front of the television. Um you know, watching Oingo Boingo videos or whatever. So I thought it would be a lot easier, and it was an extremely difficult film to make. Um, uh, and wow. I thought, why hasn't anyone made this film? And that is the reason. It was really very difficult to get all of the founders to speak to us. It took a very long oh, time mm -hmm. for them to be able to say, yeah, these people are actually really making a movie. And part of the reason is, and I, I dare say this is the most important trait in the documentary world, especially when you are young mm -hmm. and aspiring or, you know, a middle class filmmaker of, of sorts, is just uh, persistence. You know, there, there are so many filmmakers that have an idea and they'll reach out to somebody and then they'll just stop. You know, they'll get a no. I don't want to do that. I and see. then they just quit. And mm -hmm. all of my films, I've done that. Like every single film I've done, somebody wanted to do it before me. 
but that persistence. And in fact, I love it when somebody says no to me, when they say, no, I don't want to do an interview. I don't want to be that because that means they've said no to everyone else in front of them and will say Mm. no to everyone else who calls them later. So Mm -hmm. I love to be able to get that subject where nobody else can. And so we were just persistent as hell and just kept pounding them and kept hounding them. Then we got one of them. We got another of the founders and then we got another of the founders. And these are individuals who were the first people who started MTV in 1981. They were these young, scrappy guys who said, and predominantly it was guys, let's be honest, a bunch of white guys. They said, let's start a music channel. And all of them are media moguls now. And uh, it took a long time for us to get them to, to talk. And fortunately, they were able to talk. And once you get two or three of them, then the other ones join in and, and then the other ones join in. So, right. and then of course we had to get artists and musicians and rock stars which was equally as difficult. Well, but you did, so <laughs> yeah, what's we, the trick? We well, got wait, wait, so wait, wait, wait. Go step <laughs> let's take a step let's take a point five step back though, because you said you love it when you uh, are pursuing doing a documentary and everybody's saying no. And then eventually though they say yes. Well what's happening? What 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 is it? Is it polite persistence as I call it? Like that's on a smaller scale like when I go to somebody who seems unattainable or who's not sure they want to do the podcast, I kind of just keep checking in and I'm very polite mm-hmm. and I wait a while and then I reapproach again a few weeks later or whatever I have to do. And then eventually they see that I'm just earnest and that I'm well-intentioned, but I'm also not going away. So maybe they should just give in and do it. Well, I, 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 I think what they see is that this person is serious. Um, and there's so many people who want to make a movie. You know what I mean? Everyone wants to make a movie and everyone has an idea for a movie. And a high profile idea like MTV is not, you know, it's not a secret little movie. Hmm. Uh, so it, it takes someone who actually continues to do it and wants to do it and has the passion to do that. Um, and I think people, it resonates with people, especially people who are entrepreneurial or are artists or musicians, they can recognize when somebody's actually putting the time and effort in. And not to mention, like, who wants to do an interview with somebody and it never goes anywhere? You know what I mean? Like, you take an hour or two or three or a half a day of your life and sit down in front of a camera, and then the film never comes out. I think they just want to know that this film is actually going to be done and going to be seen. You know, in, in, in our business, Adam, we face a consistent uh, amount a consistent and constant amount of no's. It is innate in our world, be it from subjects, be it from investors, be it from uh, distributors. It just is a constant. And we have to learn to deal with that and have to be a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to say an asshole, but in some ways you have to keep going. You just have to keep going. But again, again if, you, if you're if you not going to keep going, and that's on you too, if you're not going to keep going and, and, and try and get these people, then you probably shouldn't be doing it anyways. That's right. That's true. That makes so, sense. But I, I also think that is, you know, and I, I see a lot of filmmakers and a lot of the larger filmmakers, they, they, they get so stretched. They have so many projects they're doing that uh, it, it's difficult to be able to put all of your passion, time, and effort into one. And so you let people fall off, you know, they, you don't contact them, you don't contact them and they forget. But when you, you're fully invested in a project, it's easier to be able to 
to contact anyone you need to and everyone you need to at all times and to make it feel like you're contacting them uh, individually instead of a dear sir or sure, madam. Sure, of course. Kind of way. Right, right, right. Like a um, form letter approach. Sure. <laughs> right. Okay, so I want to talk about how then, it. I mean, how you then, you mentioned a few minutes ago how those folks that you are trying to wrangle for the film, especially the founders, of course, that this film is going to get seen and that it's going to get distributed and etc. How did that work? That's one question. How did the distribution happen? Well, you know, like I mean, and then you know that they want to they they're going to invest time and effort and in you and the and the and the team and how uh, based on on good faith mostly at that point, right? Because you don't have a deal in place while you're shooting this unless you do. No, I didn't. We didn't have a deal in place for the fir- for the first couple of years. We did not. No, um, it helps when you've made a film before. Of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think this is a, a good case for any young filmmaker. And you've gotten is a that, number of films in Tribeca, as we've established, which, you know, just in the festival right. level alone is a good thing. Yeah, and it helps. And, and people can get on and they can, you know, they can find out that my films have been well-reviewed and they've been distributed worldwide. And, you know, w- when you when you when you make your first film, I remember trying to pitch Sons of Perdition and I was... You know, I was tireless. We were tireless in selling that film. Is it? It's a great concept. No one would turn us down on the concept, but it, it, it more was we were trying to pitch us because documentaries are hard, man. They're so mm-hmm. difficult and they're so trying and so many people make them and some of them don't make them that good. Is Does this person, does this filmmaker have the persistence and desire and drive and passion and creativity and energy and stupidity <laughs> to be able to finish this film and finish it well. And when you're making your first film, you have to convince them that you can. When you've made a film, you don't have to convince them of that. I can make a film. I finished it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it helps when you've made a, a good film and a decent film. Uh, and, and so that that helped. And a number of them were were able to watch some of my films, and that really was a, a, a nice calling card. So Okay, so to me... The, the the origin story is incredible there the, and and it's so well you produce it and and and, sh- and and present it so so successfully that this beginning how everything like nobody knew what the the heck they were doing and they pulled it off it's such a great coming from behind uh, uh yeah. story and then it's all about rock and roll of course and then you know you do go into some of the social political issues that come up in terms of you know that they play primarily white right uh, musicians etc right. and i thought that was handled really really sensitively and really well and then the film of course just like mtv it departs from its original credo if you will or or origin and it goes into reality television to some degree mm-hmm. i mean real yeah. world of course yeah. was the first thing and then it went into game shows and this and that and the other how do you make that glamorous how do you make that sexy it's part of the story it's not the main thrust of this uh, but you know rock and roll is always let's face it it's it's it, it almost like you know takes care of itself as far as the topic yeah i mean there is there is no shortage of great rockumentaries and great music films. And a lot of it is, and I, I, most people will watch 
backstage material. You know, if you can tell me about a band and what they did backstage and the, you know, the fun they had, I will watch it. And I love music and I love bands and I love the life of that. But MTV was a little different because while it was about music, it was a bunch of white guys in suits, executives. But they were the rock and roll equivalent of executives. They were young. They were aspiring. They had no idea. They started with no money. And it seems very, it seems, you know, it seems simple for us to go, of course, music videos on television. That makes sense. But at the time, there was no music on television. It wouldn't work. Nobody believed it was work. There was no music videos out there. There was about 150 music videos when MTV started, maybe 200. Most of them were terrible. Um, and then they launched this thing and it went nowhere because nobody had cable, nobody had MTV, and nobody wanted it. And then they boldly did the I Want My MTV campaign, which is essentially this Hail Mary pass to keep MTV alive. And it worked. And then they became a force. You know, MTV. That's and right. For, for people, uh, our generation, it was everything. You know, and I'll talk to millennials and I'll go, it, it was Snapchat and Facebook and Spotify and YouTube and Instagram all put together. It was everything to us. It was how we it was how we got our news, how we got our music, how we got our fashion, our film, our tastes. It, you were able to see people unlike you. You know, before MTV, the weirdos were hidden. And you may have may have been a weirdo in high school, but now you go on MTV and my god, my my god, my weirdos are out there. My people exist. So MTV, the story of MTV, is in many ways a very great three-act structure. It struggles to get off the ground. It, it gets huge. It becomes a, a juggernaut in the culture in America and worldwide. And then it almost eats its own tail because it becomes too big and too bloated. And music videos become, uh, you know, these gratuitous over-budgeted, over-priced films, essentially, that nobody wants to see. And eventually, the uniqueness of music videos wear off, and MTV turns to alternative program like Real World. Um, And so there's kind of a, a death of music on television. And in our film, we start with music on television. Like, we we go to the top, like the Beatles were the first m- real music videos. And we talked to Michael Nesmith and the monkeys and, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and now the, the innovators. The, yeah. Yeah. And, and now and then the end of the film, without giving too much away, it kind of talks about this rebirth of the music videos that are online. There is no curator. There is no um, group of people that chooses what goes on MTV or not. You can make a music video and put it online and millions of people can see it within an hour so that film premiered at the uh, the tribeca film festival about it did about two-thirds of the way through production we were approached by um at the time morgan spurlock's company warrior poets oh boy (laughs) and they we know what happened there (laughs) yeah spoiler alert um they they took our money um not our money a and e's they uh uh, they were working with A&E to do a series called Culture Shock, and we teamed with them and A&E. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, as everyone may know, the Morgan Spurlock incident. And it's very interesting to see him back in the news 
Um, and he seems very... And back on my podcast. I too, know, I know. And he seems very <laughs> conciliatory and great, but his his undoing of the company affected us in a big way. True. They took... I imagine so. They took a significant amount of the money from our film with them. And fortunately, A&E and Brad Abramson, they picked up and they stepped up and they continued with the film. But it was a it was a seven, eight month setback, um, if not Which more. Which is a, not, a, not a small thing for no. you know, a team, like, a, a production like yours, I'm sure. No, know. it was skinny. And it was like, well, that's what we were, we were existing on. So it uh, it did slow us up. And uh, but we just continued to make the film, and it premiered at Tribeca, and it's playing incredibly well. It's playing at festivals all over the world. Um, it just played at Woodstock, where you were. Um, it's going to play at Heartland and Milwaukee and Napa and Terrific. some other places, and then A and E will and release it in the spring, I believe. Well, congratulations about that. Thanks, man. Thanks. Ultimately, hopefully, that will mean that you know all that. <laughs> pain and what have you will um kind of be um somewhat you know yeah it was a, it was a hard film to make and then you couple into it getting musicians and then you mm-hmm. put into it the fair use difficulty in the edit oh my gosh and right. these edit and when you see the film i mean it's edited very quickly it is a it is it comes at you very quick and i co-edited it um, and there is a cut every, you know, 2.6 seconds, which is ridiculous for a documentary, which averages a cut every 16 seconds. So <laughs> it moves. But we set a pace. We stayed with it. And it's a fun film. It's a blast. It's fun. It's entertaining. It's full of music. And um, I'm, I'm very proud of it, of course. Yeah, no, it is thoroughly entertaining. And of course, for anyone remotely, like you say, of my age, of your age, it is just a salve. It's 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 very, very gratifying watch. Nostalgia. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm urging everyone to make note. And if it's it will be if it's not coming to a festival close to you soon, we will keep you apprised of when it, it does hit M, um, A&E rather in the um, spring. Because um, yeah. everybody should get it. Yeah, know, and I, I think they're gonna it. they're gonna roll it out on you know the various entities and the platforms. Sure, that makes sense. It's also confusing and yet convenient. You know, it's like it's like if you subscribe to just enough of these platforms, you can see just about everything. <laughs> but it's also, it's but you know it's sort of like it's you know I don't know I I have like this you know YouTube lot what is it YouTube uh, TV and um, Hulu and I don't know. I just you know hope know. that somehow or other I get to see just about everything I try to see. You yeah, know, I, I just subscribed to Stars last week, and honestly, oh, wow. I was like totally. <laughs> I watched um, two films on Stars that I couldn't see anywhere else: War Games and uh, Puzzle. Wow. Yeah, Stars. What was the Who second knew? one? Puzzle. Uh, Puzzle. Yeah, John Turtletop played at Sundance last year. Not bad. Not a bad little narrative film. What is it? Puzzle. Who's in that? Oh, yeah, I forget her name. It? She was wonderful. Um, it's a it's a decent film. Fox Searchlight. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. Anyways, I'll look for that. And then War Games. Based on your recommendation, because War um, Games. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you. Uh, no, let's let's just as a post, you know, like a um, postscript, if you will. Yes. Um, tell me, you know, because I'm kind of curious since you had brought it up earlier in the conversation. 
you mentioned that you, at a certain point, realized that you were not a Mormon. <laughs> right, right. Well, or, I... <laughs> they're not. Well, it's no longer. You're not supposed to refer to the to Mormons as Mormons, right? Right. Well, I mean, I don't Latter- care. La- they're Mormons. It, it's it, no, I know. For the sake of brevity, it's Mormons. They 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 wish to refer to themselves as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, but you know. Right. No, I get it. But just what, what was the what was the break? And I mean, like, if you if you don't mind, because not at all. Um, not at all. I know it's some. It's I don't take it lightly. I know this is obviously your life we're talking about. And when were you already a filmmaker? Were you already set on being an artist? And it did you find that part like a cha- Like things were butting up against each other. Yeah, well, for those who don't know, you know, Mormonism is a, it's a, for the most part, a mainstream Christian church, except the beliefs are a little more extreme. Um, it's, it's pretty difficult to be a young Mormon and to be a curious artist in that culture. You know, they, they don't really care for uh, extreme views and arts and outside world. It's very uh, insular as a, as a religion. And I was raised in a big Mormon family in Utah and wanting to be an artistic individual and being a filmmaker was very much frowned upon by my parents. And I did it anyways, almost as a because I can and should. Um, but in my mid-20s, and I went on a Mormon mission for two years of my life, I, uh, I knocked on doors and I tried to convert people to Mormonism in Kansas and Nebraska, of all places. And, uh, you know, after a while, I just started to research and i just found that a lot of the history of the faith was um was false there's a lot of Hmm. really bad instances of the joseph smith and polygamy and blacks not being able to give the priesthood and lies and forgeries and fraud and i just realized it wasn't for me now leaving a faith like that is difficult it's not just about not going to church it's about disappointing your community and your faith and your family and your God and really like turning against it. And so it had a profound effect on me and it took a number of years and it had a real profound effect on me. And uh, it has without question affected my art and um, uh, how I look at it. Um, Because I think a lot of people have something that they uh, are stuck in, whether it's a job or a poor relationship or, you know, whatever you all have and that difficulty of being able to get out of it. And to figure out who you are, I think is, you know, it's, it's ripe for storytelling. So that's kind of my story as far as my, my Mormon upbringing and my culture. And my next project I'm doing, which is, I, I can't really say where it's going, but it's a three-episode series. Um, and I'm co-directing it with Jared Hess. And Jared Hess is another Utah filmmaker. He, of course, did Napoleon mm-hmm. Dynamite and Nacho Libre. We wow, yes. we have teamed up and we're going to do a documentary series about um, Mark Hoffman is his name. And Mark Hoffman in the mid 80s was the greatest document forger of all time. He lived here in, in Utah and he forged hundreds of historical documents. Mark Twain, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But he also forged documents that were historical documents that were antithesis to what the church taught. The Mormon Church taught, and the Mormon Church had to change a lot of their policies and make excuses. Um, and then he he 
well, I don't want to say too much more other than it's a hell of a story, mm-hmm. and we are starting wow. production on that pretty soon. So that also has to deal with faith and belief and why people believe certain sure. things. Well, it's obviously, yeah, as you've already identified, it's it's your, at least it's your main, you know, theme that you're going to, that you've recognized is... <laughs> Is a driving force in your storytelling, so good, you know. Well, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's working out pretty well. I get, it's cliched, but when you when you write your first book or make your first movie, uh, you know, write something you know. It does make it a whole lot easier. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. you know, well, I find an interest in it, I think. And it also makes it easier to make your next project when it's similar to the last one in some ways. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's going to be that, and then the um, VHS. What was it called? No, not VHS. What was it called? What was the other com- competitor to MTV? Oh, the VH1. 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 A funny story yeah. is How that. How can we forget? Whatever happened to VH1? Where's well, they're, that they're still there. They're still out there. They the, are? Yeah. The funny thing about VH1 oh. is they weren't a competitor. VH1 was started by MTV. Um, oh. be, and we don't cover it in the film, but it was um, uh, Ted Turner wanted to start a music video channel that played soft hits. And so MTV started VH1 to take him on and they been, eventually buried him. So it was owned by MTV and is still owned by Viacom, I believe. Yes, that I do recall. Yeah. But that's, oh, I didn't remember that part. Yeah. Of it. Well, most people don't. Let's keep in touch and and continue telling our story. No, I love it. I appreciate it. And I love your podcast. And uh, it's always great to sit and listen to fellow filmmakers and their struggles and their hopes and their dreams and, uh, you know, find some tips that might help us. I'm always kind of trying to figure out the the balance there between making it a filmmaker's resource and then also making it just sort of a more general entertaining type of show. And those things are also at odds and right. sometimes because I think that probably peop- some people might be wanting more of one thing and less of another and I'm probably, hopefully, you know. You know, filmmakers. I don't know, I don't know if I'm filmmakers are a unique breed, and they're passionate, and they're creative, and they're interesting, and they're goddamn determined. I hope I can swear on this. Um, and and when you when you find people like that who are genuinely passionate about the work they do beyond, and they don't do it for money for the most part, and they don't. Well, some might, and some might do it for fame, but you you're bound to find people who tell great stories and have an infectious attitude. So, mm-hmm. you know, the people you talk to, regardless of the fact they talk about movies or their films, they're interesting and they're, you know, unique. Agreed. Wonderful. Well done. Well Always said. a pleasure. And uh, thank you and keep going. And um, I, I assuredly will bump into you at some festival somewhere, I'm sure. I hope so. It will be it will be a, 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 a wonderful time. We'll grab a bite or a drink, a beer or whatever you want to do. Love All it. Right? Sounds great, my friend. Okay. Good luck. Okay. Thanks, everyone. All right. Have a good evening or Bye. what's remaining of it. Yep. Okay. Take care.
Thanks, everybody. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the podcast. We have coming up editor Michael Taylor. We have the cast still of uh, a new film called Freeland. We have Frank Mosley returning, Kreisha Fairchild returning. We have uh, the New York Press, that alternative news weekly of yore, the three film critics from that, those days coming up. We have Godfrey Cheshire returning to the podcast, Armand White making his first appearance on the podcast, and Matthew Zoller Seitz also returning to the podcast. All three together in one conversation with me to talk about their New York Press film criticism days, as well as just film criticism in general and where we've come at this, at this point, you know, and where we're going. So that's going to be fantastic. And then we also have uh, the musician Freddie Johnston coming on. Um, we have uh, the screenwriter uh, Hampton Fancher. Much, much more coming up all here on, on your favorite film interview podcast, Film Wax Radio. Please do give us a rating and review on uh, whatever podcast app you're listening to. Probably the easiest is Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. I'm waiting to find out if the show is going to be on iHeartRadio. We'll find out shortly. But regardless, we're also on YouTube and Spotify. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken